shackled, having been beaten, many stripes, it said, laid upon their backs, still bleeding. And yet about midnight, we have the record of what these two incarcerated disciples and servants of the Lord did in that Philippian jail. It said about midnight, they prayed and they sang praises. I believe Paul understood something. He said, as long as I've got breath, they didn't beat all the breath out of me. And as long as I have breath, the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Yes. And as long as I still have breath, I'm going to reserve it for praise. And so they began to praise God in that cold, dank prison, bleeding, bloodied, not being able to fully figure out how they even ended up where they were. Remember, they were obeying God's leading. Instead of complaining and wondering and allowing their minds to get bogged down in the futility of human reasoning, which so many times we do and the enemy is able to really rob us, he just began to do what you do, whether you're bleeding or not bleeding, we're going to praise God. And the Bible says, as they praise God, God sent an earthquake. They literally created they didn't, an earthquake. And it says all the prison doors were open. And now it's interesting. Two of God's people praised God and everybody else got free. And I, I don't, I'm just a simple man that believes in the simplicity of the Bible. I don't know how it works. But I know it does. I don't know how a church at 807 State Street could praise God with all their heart and somehow down the road, the Spirit of God could begin to awaken a prostitute, a drug user, somebody hooked on meth, or somebody, I don't know, I don't know, and I don't need to know, but I do know this, that's what the Bible says. I wonder if there are other people who are living in prison, and I'm not talking about uh, a penitentiary to visit, but a prison of invisible bars. I wonder if there are people that could become free and liberated because there is a people that have learned the value of offering praise and worship to God. It happened in that Philippian jail. And it happened and as a result it led to one of the greatest miracles in Paul's life. The, the keeper of the prison got saved, his family got saved. The Philippians became his beloved church and it was in that book of Philippians he writes from prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Now come on, he's not in the nice swaying palm trees of Punta Cana. I think Paul, out of his reality and experiences, I know what I need to tell the church while in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. Give Jesus praise today. We do rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. And that is what we could always rejoice in. Maybe not rejoice in a particular situation, but we rejoice in the Lord in the situation. Say, I'm in the mess. No, no, I'm in Jesus in the mess. That makes, I mean, no, that's a game changer. It really is. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I just could go on and on with my deep appreciation uh, for all of you. And not only are you talented, not only are you anointed, what they're doing is how they live. This is their example. 
So aren't you glad that you have a people from the pastor on down that don't just turn it on for church? But they're just doing what they do. And that's really what God wants us to rediscover is Christianity was meant to be a lifestyle. Can you say amen? And uh, it's an honor to be here. And I told, I leaned over to uh, Audrey and I said, I so appreciate I'm, every weekend I'm in a church ministering, literally every weekend. It's my joy, it's an honor. But not many, not many will like introduce me at the beginning. So okay, you got him, here he is. Express your appreciation because after this, he comes whenever he wants. And I appreciate that and the reason why is not because I'm a control freak, believe me. It's because there are times in a church such as this, when the Spirit of God is moving in worship and our hearts, I was here toward the end of the prayer meeting and the cry is, Lord, have your way. And so we don't have a fixed program. Certainly there are things to be accomplished. There's, a, there's always the declaring of the Word of God to some degree, whether it's a, a more of an in-depth teaching, an exhortation, but we believe in the Bible in this church and that it has a preeminent place. There's always gonna be worship, but we really want the Holy Spirit, and we believe that when the saints of God gather, that God has an agenda. Can you say amen? And that's our heart's cry. So thank you, Pastor Stephen, because there's times I go to preach, and I mean, I told Audrey, I said, the Spirit of God's moving, and we're flying where eagles fly. And I said, oh God, if I could just, I'm telling you, there's a word in my heart. Now's the time to release it. And I'm like waiting, but I, you know, I come, I'm under authority. And all of a sudden we're coming in for landing. And then for all we got these announcements and now we're where chickens peck in the barnyard. And now we want Pastor Phil to come preach. And now we're in the barnyard. We were flying with eagles. Lord, help us get up there again. It's meaning there's a spiritual dynamic when, and farmers know this. They know when it's time to sow the seed. There's a certain climate. There's a certain weather. They know when it's time to plow. They know when it's time. So we want to be as sensitive as we can to the spiritual climate. So thank you, Pastor, for doing that. Uh, again, we, our time has gone so fast, but uh, we want to just thank God that we would participate this weekend. Let me just say a word for those of you that may not have been here. These were uh, special uh, prophetic gatherings. And uh, the Bible says I wanted to read two scriptures. And Acts chapter uh, 15, verse 32, it says, And Judas and Silas being prophets. So this, the Bible clearly identified these two in their ministry calling, they were prophets, and they uh, came with many words and they confirmed the, the brethren. The word confirm, say, why do they need to confirm? I know I'm saved. I don't believe that they were confirming their salvation. What they were confirming was callings and what God uh, desires to do with those lives. And so God sent prophets and primarily the prophetic, the administration of prophecy in the New Testament primarily. Uh, and we're seeing this less and less. We're seeing, maybe we're exposed to more prophecy kind of talking about world events. And there is that dimension. Remember Agabus, he talked about how a famine was coming and the Bible said it came to pass, I believe in the days of Claudius Caesar. But most of the time in the New Testament, when you read of prophets, usually it's in the plural and typically it's in the context of the church. And they're ministering to the saints, according to Ephesians 4.11. The primary reason for apostles and prophets is really to contribute to the saints, to your perfection, your growth, so that there might be you participating in the work of the ministry. That's really what it's all about. So we find Judas and Silas doing that, being prophets. And then we find also another scripture just to read. So this is what we did really at Hillside, uh, Acts 15, 41, uh, 40. Paul chose Silas. Now Paul was an apostle, but he chose a prophet. 
So again, now we see team ministry. I was here with Pastor Pat Lyons, who is more primarily apostolic and he flows prophetically, but he speaks the word of the Lord and much was confirmed yesterday of things that God spoke through him. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming now entire churches. So we have individuals being confirmed, and then we have entire churches being confirmed. And uh, what does it mean? Strengthening. Individuals have a calling, but how many know even local churches have a calling? Even though there's things that we all share in common, Jude said these words, Brethren, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, when it comes to issues of salvation, we have things in common that we share, and that's why we can praise God together. There's a common blood. We have common forgiveness. There's uh, so many things common. But when it comes to the uniqueness of calling, we've got things that are distinct and different. You've got a portion, I have a portion. And so what we want to see is the saints confirmed in the uniqueness of their place and of their calling. And just as saints have that, local churches have things in common. We're all called to preach the gospel as a local church. We're all called to make disciples as a local church. But then there are distinct callings of expression and much of it is dependent upon, again, the spiritual uh, graces that God has put within that local church. And so even as a body, through the preached word, through the exhorted word, we have really one desire, and that's to confirm you and to strengthen Hillside within your calling. And uh, there's a tremendous calling on this church, and we thank God that we can come by this weekend and encourage you in that. This morning, I want to speak that what something God's placed on my heart that I believe will minister uh, to you as an, as an individual, mo mostly as individuals, that was in my heart. And I wanna talk to you about the power of a prophetic shift, the power of a prophetic shift. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we now turn to the word of God, we, are, we recognize that the one who authored the word is the one that must interpret it. So we welcome the true teacher, the true prophet, who is the Holy Spirit. And we ask that we might all hear your voice. May the word of God go out, and Lord, we thank you that the word of God is not bound, and even in the mere reading of the word, these are not the words of men, though you use men, these are inspired words that came from the very life of God, that even just the reading of Scripture, it could set the captive free when the anointing is free. So may the blessed anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon the Word, be upon my lips, order my thoughts, Lord, and may I handle the Word of God diligently and as a good steward, and we declare that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a couple of scriptures to begin with. John chapter 4, verse 14, and then John chapter 7, out of the life of Jesus. John chapter 4, the setting is he with the woman at the well. And he's dialoguing with the woman. Uh, you might remember the story. We won't read the whole story. Jesus told his disciples, we have needs be to go through Samaria. They didn't fully understand why Jesus did what he did. That's not where his destination was. He took the long way. Now, how many know even when we drive, we don't like going the long way? We like the short way. Even the GPS will show you the fastest way. Most of us will choose that way. But there are times that many times God chooses the longer way because he's accomplishing things, I love this, on the way. So Jesus said, we got to go through Samaria. Now what they didn't know, what he knew, was that there was one soul that needed an encounter with him. And that was the woman at the well, and Jesus goes to the well, and he initiates you know, a conversation, and it starts off with natural things. He said, boy probably wiped his lips, 
And he said, would you give me a drink? Because she's there, obviously, to draw. And the, the beginning of their conversation is all centered around natural water. But you can't dialogue with Jesus too much before you start dealing with important things. And now Jesus is talking to her about this other kind of water. He said, I've got, there are waters, man, I've got, if you drank from those waters, you'd never drink again. Where can I get those waters? And so that's the way of the conversation. In John chapter 4, verse 14, this is what Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give, not Jacob's well, I'm actually a well. You're talking to a well. There's waters that I will give, you'll never thirst. But the water that I will give, here's what I'll do. I'll actually put the, they will be in the person a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither that I will ever have to come back here to draw. And I believe, honestly, and I'm going to exercise restraint because I'd love to preach on this right now, but I'm not going to do that. Because it's so powerful, when Jesus started to speak to what he had to offer, it touched the deepest part of this woman and really addressed the need. And when she said that, when he said that, she said, where can I get that? Where can I get that? What are you talking about? So I don't have to keep coming back to this well. Many people believe the well is where she probably met the men the well was the center of town back then because the well is the center of life, natural life. Women went, you need water for the household. Uh, men would come by, and that's where then it would turn into, you know, you go into uh, European nations, you well know, or Italy, the piazza, there's usually a big fountain there, and that's the city center, and that's where connections are made, and you catch up with one another. Hey, did you hear about Jim? News is, and, and that's where, that's where, you know, uh, interconnections. And, and, and I think that there was a cry. I think that what she's saying is, I'm addicted. I keep coming back, but I got to keep coming back. And Jesus said, but if you give the water I give, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This water, I put the well inside you. I literally put the resource in you, so you no longer have to keep going to the well. Some have wells of a drug addiction. How many times did you say, I'm never coming back to that well? Only to find out you're back at the well. The well of alcoholism. Wells come in many shapes and sizes. But how many have also found out that when you started drinking the waters that Jesus offered, you never went back to that well again? Isn't that wonderful? So he said, the waters I have to live, they will spring up within you. And the idea is this ever going, flowing, never-ending resource of life. That's what I could give you. That's ongoing and bubbling up, and there really is a flow in the spirit that you don't have to just experience weekly. It actually daily. And then the next scripture is John 7, just three chapters later. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried. Now listen. You know, there's times Jesus said things, all of it is red letter, all of it is important. There's times Jesus emphasized things, verily, verily, or oh, you better really hear that one because he's saying is really pay attention now. But there's not many times it says, and Jesus cried. I mean, he put a voice behind what he's about to say and he's thrusting it. He's lifting his voice like, you gotta hear this. Let's catch. What's the cry? If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He goes on to say, he that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And and my, my little understanding of the Greek because of some of my tools I have in my library, it's even more powerful because what it means and what it's saying is this, keep on drinking, never stop drinking. That's the tense of the verb. 
because out of his belly, if you keep drinking, there will be an unending flow. It'll keep on flowing rivers of living water. So the idea is this, that I am to continually resource myself in the life of the Spirit, because it goes on to say, this he spake of the Spirit. So now it's clear. If you say, well, what's that water mean? What does it mean in type? What does it mean? It's clear. He was really talking of spirit life, of the Holy Spirit, which they believe on him, were going to receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. So he's crying of what is about to be available, not yet, but it will be available. And so never stop drinking, Hillside. Say, well, what's the answer to really living in spirit life? First, never stop drinking. Keep drinking of the spirit. Continue cultivate lifestyle of communion. Communion. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Uh, the fellowship of God, the communion of the grace of the Lord, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Communion means ongoing fellowship. Never stop. Don't let anything come in between that. And so you cultivate that, man, you're drinking. I'm just drinking. I'm drinking it up. And there is a fellowship now that I can have with the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus said he puts the well in me. It's really the Spirit of God, not out there, but the Spirit of God is really in here. And then he said, if you live that, you keep drinking like that, that will result in an ongoing, never-ending flow of life that will come out of you. So you will become now a resource for people. And it'll come in some form. Maybe it's going to be in the form of prophecy. Maybe in form of gifts of healing. These are called manifestations of the Spirit. And so there is some manifestation. I'm here, and I could say this based on Scripture, that God wants to manifest through you, every one of you. Amen. Every one of you. That's why he said, if any man. I like that, because that means that's all-inclusive. If any man thirsts. Anybody thirsty here? You thirsty for the Lord? Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? For you don't want low tide? I want high tide. I want there to be something that really flows, uh, not only this weekend, but I want it to flow when I'm sitting next to somebody on the airplane. Come on. Oh, yeah. I, I want to flow. I'll never forget. I'll give you one testimony when, when it flowed out. And I was uh, supposed to go. I was scheduled to go to uh, South America to Chile and uh, I was flying out of Harrisburg and it was just horrible weather. It snowed, it rained, it sleet, but my, my flight was later to go to Philly and from Philly international. So because I had a later flight, I said, well, I'm gonna go. So I'm in the gate, the airport's empty and uh, they're canceling. They're canceling, they're canceling. We're into the early afternoon. I got there in the morning and it was really terrible. I think you brought me, I'm not quite sure. Do you remember that? Oh, I, okay. You were gonna borrow a car, maybe from, and it was terrible weather or something. But anyway, I was supposed to go down there and it was, uh, I, I thought it was, I don't know, maybe not. So, but I just have a, put, a puddle chup, you know, jumper as they say. So I thought, okay, well maybe, you know. As I'm sitting there, so it's the gate for Harrisburg. Yeah, it's the gate for Harrisburg, and next to that gate is the gate for Pittsburgh, for those going to Pittsburgh. And as I'm sitting there, just believing I'm gonna make that flight, and it's snowing and all, who comes walking past me? My gate is somebody by the name of Lynn Swan. Any, any football guys here from here? You all know who Lynn, for those of you who don't, Lynn Swan was a premier Hall of Fame football player from the 70s, and he played for Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he's noted for an incredible catch in a Super Bowl. Anybody know the catch? It's called the catch, yeah. So anyway, and when I saw him, I mean, I haven't seen him, I've only seen him really with pads on and all. It was like I saw him and something leapt in me. And I know what that leaping is. It was like I started to leak living water, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh God, I feel that there's a stirring. And I just started praying like, I don't know, you know, and there's the battle. I mean, oh, this is the battle right here. I'm feeling like 
God wants to minister, and I'm in my mind, I'm saying, no, how can, how can I go to Lidside? No. So I look, and he's on the cell phone. I almost felt like I was off the hook. You know, it's like, oh, I would, God would never want me to interfere with his phone call. So I'm just keep looking. But then I have this battle. Yeah, but you know if you don't obey, you're going to feel miserable going all the way to South America. And I know that because I already know what it's like to not obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and I hate that. So I'm, I'm going through all this, and I keep looking, and he's on a long conversation. I'm thinking, well, you know, it's just my mind. I'm thinking I'm going to minister to him, you know, and I look and he's off the phone and it's like, that's it. I'm going to obey. And it's not because I'm this great, never have to deal. I knew how miserable I would feel on that plane going down. It would really ruin my trip. And so even if he says, well, you crazy minister, I know that I would feel like at least I tried to obey God. Okay. So I go to Mr. Swan. He's sitting there and I go up to him. I said, excuse me, Mr. Swan. I said, uh, you don't know me. I said, I'm a minister. I said, and the moment I saw you, I said, it came into my heart to pray for you. I feel like there's something I'm to pray for. And I don't know, you know, whether you're a believer or not believer. And he just was very gracious. Oh, he said, certainly. So I'm leaning over him. He's sitting there. He grabbed my hand, my forearm. He grabbed everything. <laughs> that guy's got hands like you wouldn't believe. No wonder why he can catch like that. <laughs> I mean, it was like, whoa. So we prayed, and the Lord gave me a word about a son. I know nothing of his family, but there's this one son, and this was the emphasis. There's a son, and, and it's been a burden, and the Lord said that God will bring the reconciliation, and you turn it over, and all these things about a son. Well, he is gripping my hands. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he really laid hold of it. So when we were done, he said, there's no way you could have known. And he shared some things about his son, that there was a little division there. And not all details. I said, well, all I know is God really was stirring my heart when I saw you, and I needed to be obedient. He said, do you have a card? I said, sure, I do. And I gave him a card. And so he was so gracious. I said, well... I hope you make your flight. I told them where I was going. I said, and by the way, that was some catch. <laughs> and he laughed. He said, I just had to tell you that. And I got to tell you something. Oh, let, so let me finish the testimony. I don't want to. So I get there. I go back into my gate. I'm, I'm sitting in heavenly places. I am telling you. But they're postponing. All of a sudden, within a few minutes, will Phil Capuccio come to the desk. So I come to the desk. They said, yeah, we see that you have a connecting flight to Chile out of Philadelphia. They're going to be shutting the airport. We took your bags. Downstairs, there's a cab. I said, really? Oh, yeah, and they did it all. So I get in this cab. Everything was made. So I get in the cab, and I'm talking to him. And he's going to drive me to Philly from Harrisburg in a snowstorm. So I'm like in this cab, and I'm thinking, well, who's paying for this? I have no idea. So I'm talking to this guy. He said, no, that's the airport made the prayer. So sitting there, he's a backslidden Christian. We start talking. I wind up laying hands on him. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in the, I'm in the ionosphere of spiritual dwellings here. But it was like the Lord say, you're my ambassador. You just obey me. I'll take care of the details of your life. And as I sat there and thought about it all the way down, and Lord, thank you for your grace to do this, the thought came, I don't want to live any other way. But this isn't just for Phil Capuccio. This is for everybody. Whoever would drink, let him come, and I'm going to put a resource in you of life, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so I wanted to encourage you with those words, and I want to talk to you about an inner prophetic shift. I believe, and I might have told this story, because sometimes, is there something? Are we good there? Okay, there we go. Did I tell you the story of my goldfish? Did I tell you that? You just make me want to tell you everything about my life, even my goldfish. <laughs> but I will tell you this real quick because I believe it's pertinent. Okay, this the story of the gold, because this is recently, not long ago, the Lord brought it back to memory. 
when I moved in June of 72 from the Bronx to Long Island where I got saved, I was uh, 11 years old. And I had a best friend in the Bronx. We played Little League Baseball together. We did everything together. Well, he knew I was moving and, I was, and we were going to miss each other. One of the last things we did, my friend John around the corner, was we were going to set up a 10-gallon tank with, gold, with fish in his, you know, in, his, in his little room there. So we went to the pet store. We, you know, get that little tank. You got to get the cobalt blue, you know gravel he got to have that put a little shipwreck in there fake coral you know and do and he did that so when he did that and now i'm going to have my own bedroom in our new house okay i asked my parents i wanted to do that first thing i want to establish i want to put a little fish tank so i did that that was like the first thing i did and you know you go there go to the pet store and i got my little 10 gallon tank you know and i've created this world i feel like god you know just wow and I get my guppies and angelfish and all the fish, and go, gotta have goldfish. They come out from the shipwreck. And what I would do is I'd shut the lights off in my bedroom and just put the light on in that tank, and I'd look. And, and boy, those, they were like effervescent, the colors, you know, the goldfish. So I did. Now let's fast forward. I'm pastoring in Boston. And my late wife and I, we went on a vacation up the coast of Maine. And there was a, a restaurant someone had recommended. I think it was in Camden. But uh, anyway, the centerpiece of the seafood restaurant was like a 100-gallon uh, fish tank. I never saw a fish tank that big. So as we're waiting to be seated, I'm like looking, you know, because that's what it does. It just draws you. And you got to see the exotic fish in there. And I'm looking at the fish. And the guy next to me, we start talking, and he knows those fish. You know, he's calling them by their Latin names. That's when you know they know. You know, like, that's an azalea bush? No, it's not. It's a, and they give the Latin name. That's a, that's a botanist, you know. So he's, like, saying about all these fish, well, what's that? What's that? 100-gallon tank. Amazing. Then these goldfish come. Wow, what kind of goldfish are they? And I, so I tell him about my 10-gallon tank. I said, the biggest biggest tank I ever had was 10 gallons. Ha, ha, ha. You're laughing. And, you know, I had these goldfish. He goes, well, they're the same fish. I go, no way. Oh, yeah. He said, that's because you have them in a 10-gallon tank. And the restriction of oxygen limited the potential of their growth. I said, are you kidding me? I started to feel a little guilty, I'll be honest with you, at first. It's like, I kept like midget goldfish. It's like, this is... No, no, he said, if you would have taken those goldfish, put them in a 100-gallon tank, they would have tripled in size. Well, lately, God brought that back to me and said the essence of prophetic ministry is to smash the 10-gallon tank of thoughts we live in. Because there are Christians that God wants to do so much more with, but they stay little goldfish Christians. They believe right, but think wrong. And there's this, everything that has shaped their thinking keeps them in 10 gallons. And as a result, the full potential and the full possibility, even of what things that God has spoken they never seem to grow to that dimension because transformation is determined by renewing of the mind. And he said the essence of prophetic preaching, the essence of a prophetic word, the essence of the power of a word from the Lord is it smashes the tank. Wow. And that's what it was designed to do. That's when, because God doesn't speak to you in the world of thoughts you live in, he speaks out of the potential he has in store for you. And so what we find is this is the reason that one of the names of God is the God of breakthrough. So let's talk a little more about this, especially in a prophetic weekend that we had. Ten years ago, there was, there was a a tsunami that hit Japan. Remember that? And it create, caused the, there was an earthquake registering 10 on the Richter scale. We had the uh, Fukushima meltdown and, uh, you know, and they're still like, uh, 
debris, radioactive debris that was washing up on the west coast. And so everybody saw this tsunami. Now think about what Jesus said. Out of your belly shall flow tsunami. See, a tsunami is like a never-ending flow that goes beyond borders and boundaries, and it changes landscapes. This tsunami back in 2011 that hit the island of Japan was so powerful, it moved the island eight feet. I'm telling you, if you don't believe me, ask Siri. I'm telling you, (laughs) not now, don't do it now. And if you need twofold witness, then ask Alexa and you'll get both. (laughs) It moved the island. That's how powerful this, someone say flow. This flow of water changed the landscape. Where did that come from? We could see the flow. We could see the impact. Where did that come from? Well, it came from an earthquake. And the earthquake was measurable. 10 on the Richter scale. Powerful, which created the flow. Well, that's great. Where did the earthquake come from? Ah, there no eye could see. 15 miles below sea level, there was a shift of tectonic plates. And when these plates shifted that Fox couldn't cover, CNN couldn't send a reporter. There's no public view. It's deep internal. A shift occurred. When that shift occurred, it created an earthquake. The earthquake creates a flow of water that moved the nation. And so the power of God's word is to create shifts deep in us. It's a two-edged sword, the word of the Lord, the rhema of God. More powerful, quick, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it goes deep. It divides soul from spirit. It goes even into the thought realm. It goes where none of us, all we see is actions. All we see are the things you do. But God says, if you let me shift some things, a shift of thought, a shift of thinking, if there could be an internal shift, there is a power to that that will create a spiritual earthquake in your life that will release a new flow of ministry, a new flow of what I want to do. And so as I was being led by God to, he was speaking to me, the Lord says, this is the power of a breakthrough. Now, let me give you a couple of verses. It says Psalm 29, 4, you don't have to turn there. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. It goes on to say in verse 5 of Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. In other words, there's an inherent power of breakthrough in the voice of God. It smashes tanks. It smashes things. 2 Samuel chapter 5. The Bible says that David was going against the Philistines. They were all around. They spread out in the valley. In other words, everywhere he looked, he saw enemy forces, kind of like today. No matter what we see, we see challenges. We see opposition. We see conflict. Maybe even in your own world, sometimes we can look at our finances and we see problems. We can look at our marriage. We see problems. Maybe even things in your body. We see problems. Nothing in our life offers us much hope. And that could be a situation. David was in that situation. Everywhere he looked, they spread themselves in the valley. But David knew something about God. He said, God, I'm facing the enemy. Should I... They're outnumbering us. There's nothing in the natural that would indicate we'd win this war. But there's the God factor. Should I go after the Philistines? And the Lord says, you go. God says, you go and doubtless I will deliver them into your hands. He didn't ask how. He didn't ask God how he's going to do it. He said, all I need to know is you spoke a word. And I'm going to obey your word. I don't understand how this will ever happen, but I don't need to understand. I've been walking with you long enough to know that all you got to do is say it, and the rest is up to you. So he does, and it says, And when David went, 
the Lord broke forth. It's the same word as break. He breaketh the cedars. The Lord broke forth upon his enemies as a breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of that place Bel Perazim, which means in my situation, I discovered the God of breakthroughs. He's the God of breakthroughs. Okay, another scripture. It says in Micah chapter 2, verse 13, the breaker. Someone say, the breaker. The breaker is come up before them. Speaking of the Lord, they have broken up and they have passed through the gate. Speaking of Israel, they've gone out. Their king shall pass before them because the Lord is on the head of them or the Lord is at the head of them. As I began to study God of breakthroughs, you see, God has revealed himself through all of scripture with different aspects as to who he is. The God of peace, the God who is there, the God, the Lord is my shepherd, and these all speak to us of dimensions of our God that are worthy to be worshiped. And they communicate to us something that addresses real needs in our life. But amidst all that, he's also known as the God of breakthroughs. So when I studied the breaker breakthroughs, here's what I found out. In the Hebrew, there's three dimensions of ideas to that word. Parats, or I'm not, probably not saying it right, P-A-R-A-T-S, transliteration, it means this. Here was the threefold. First, to break in. Something actually breaks in, like a break-in. Then it also carries the idea of breakdown. Then it carries the idea of break out. And as I meditated upon who God is and what God did and what resulted as God's breakthrough, here is what a breakthrough is. God breaks in. When he breaks in, things get broken down that need to be broken down. As a result of God breaking in and things getting broken down, guess what? You break out. You break out into a new place. You break out into a new dimension. So in other words, that a true breakthrough begins with God and ends with you. How many times have I had people, you've had people say, oh, pastor, please pray for me. I need a real breakthrough. And the idea is, I just need God to come in and take care of this situation. I, and, and, and whether it's finances, it could be family issues, whatever. I need a breakthrough. I need God to just show up, make it all right. Well, the idea of a breakthrough is God does. He breaks in. That's his role. As a result of him breaking in, things that have held you in bondage start breaking down. But that's not the end. The crown of the breakthrough is as a result you break out. So the breakthrough is realized when you're breaking forth into a new dimension, into new territory, into a new aspect of the will of God, breaking through into that. And so I'm here to tell you that today, he is, and he still is, the God of breakthroughs. I began to see this all over the Bible, and I just want to consider one or two. And it begins with Abraham. I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis, and I want to talk about Father Abraham, the man who got a breakthrough. And if you go to Genesis, if you would, Genesis chapter 11 to begin with, they had built the Tower of Babel. This is the beginning parts of the growth of civilization, as you know. The, the, the Tower of Babel, which is the beginning of what became known as Babylon, which actually means confusion. Why? Because that's where God confused their languages so that man could not build according to his imagination because God only intended man to do according to what God said in the earth. So as a result, it's Babel, Babel, Babylon. And so verse 27 now, it said, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. So notice that. Lot's father is Haran. Verse 28. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, which is Ur of the Chaldees, which is Babylon. 
So what we have is the phrase, follow me and you'll really appreciate what God did here. We have Haran died before his father, Terah, who's Abram's father. So Abram's brother's son dies. The, the, I'm sorry, Abram's brother dies, Haran. So the father's gotta bury a son. And the phrase died before his father could mean two things. It can mean in time, he died first, he died before his father, but it really probably implies as well, he died in front of his father. Meaning his father watched him dying, that he got sick, because no one killed him, that something happened in his son's life and he died before his father. Whatever the case, there is no greater sorrow that could visit the heart of a parent than to bury their children because it is a breach of natural order, okay? So you can imagine the sorrow. After he buries his son, verse 29, Abram and Nahor, they took wives. Abram's wife was Sarai, later Sarah, the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, okay. Sarah was, Sarai was barren, verse 30, had no child. Now watch 31. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, and he got the children he had left and their spouses. He took them. The idea is like, there's no way. I lost one. You're coming with me. What's up, Dad? We're getting out of here. Where are we going? We're going to go to Canaan. Now, this is the beginning of the mentioning of Canaan. We sing songs about Canaan, because what is Canaan? Canaan's the promised land for Israel. Canaan is Israel. Canaan is the land of milk and honey. Canaan is the land of fruitfulness. Canaan is the land where later on the grapes of Eshkol and the, and the, uh, and, and the pomegranates, and it's a land of abundance. That's Canaan, it's the promised land. But here in Genesis, it's as though the father is saying, I've got to leave this place of sorrow. Something in the Father, there's no indication that God led him, God spoke to him, but something comes into his heart, I want to get to a fruitful land. I want to come to a fruitful place. I've got to get out of this place. So he takes Abram, takes the whole family, so we're getting out of Dodge, we're leaving. Where are we going? We're going to Canaan. We're going to go to Canaan land. Well, they go set the course to, to go to Canaan. And so he takes them, verse 31, and the last part says to go into the land of Canaan, but they came to Haran, and they dwelt or lived there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran, which is named after the son who died. So there's, again, this is the beginning of Genesis. This is the beginning of the development of the earth. How did that get named? How, who named these cities? So there's really no indication in the sense that he came to a place, his intention is to go a lot farther. His intention is to come to a fruitful land. But he got stuck in his journey and he settled in a place named after the pain of his son that died. Now the event is over, the funeral is over, the circumstance is over, the pain's not over. And that pain, that disappointment, and all that you could imagine that went on in that transaction went with him on that journey. Just like it follows many people. I've pastored long enough to sit with people who got stuck in adult years because of events that took place in children years. I mean, tragic situations. The event is no longer. We're not talking a few months. We're talking years. But the pain of the event, the impact of the event, the given the right circumstance, it keeps tripping them up. It affected their personality. It followed them into their marriage. It followed them into as adults. And it almost began to continue to sabotage any kind of forward 
progress of coming into a fruitful place. So he said, we're going to settle here. What's here? Here is the halfway place. So Abram now is living. Now here we have, it's affected generations. Now my kids are settling in what's holding me back. So now Abram's living there. They're, they're out of Babylon. They're out of that place, but they're not in a fruitful place, and they're living where as far as dad could take them. And there are literally generations. There's generational sins. There's generational bondages. There's generational issues that oftentimes reach beyond and goes to the next generation and the next generation. And am I preaching to anybody? And the next generation, you say, it doesn't have to be that way. In Christ, no, it doesn't have to. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's not based upon where you started from. Nobody has more of an advantage, not in Christ. Come on now. His power is sufficient. His promises are secure. His power, his provisions are available. Whosoever is thirsty, you might be parched. You say, my God, I'm so thirsty to really, I've been raised a Christian. I went to Christian churches. I love God, I believe in God but I'm not living in what I've been exposed to. Maybe even today, you did your best to try to enter into the beautiful worship. Something in your heart says, I know there's more even in the dimension of worship, but I haven't been able to set full sail. You know, I'm kind of half-masked, but I want, and I'm in this struggle. I'm in this struggle. I'm here to tell you that today, God wants you to have a breakthrough so you could come to Canaan land. Can you say amen? Amen. And so what happens is, Abram now is dwelling in Haran, which is named after the son who died. He's dwelling in that halfway place. But God had another plan for Abraham. And so what we find, go to Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, here's where God steps in. Somebody say, God breaks in. Oh, yes. Someone said, you know, the Lord won't come unless he's invited. What Bible are you reading? When did Saul of Tarsus invite the blessed Lord Jesus to come? How many know Jesus broke in on Saul? And how many know Saul broke out? He broke out. How many know on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit broke in? And how many know that things in them broke down? But in the end, they broke out. They broke out and there have been reverberations of their breakthrough through three ages. It didn't just stay in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria. It went in South America. It's all over Europe. Why? Because 120 got a breakthrough that affected the ages. So anyway, here we got Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, watch what he says. Get out of your country. Get out of Haran. Get away from your natural kin from your father's house. Now, notice his dad is dead. But he's still living in dad's house. He still has embraced dad's limitation. Get out of that house. Watch verse 2. I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You're going to become a blessing. I will bless them that bless you. I'll curse him that curses you. In fact, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's in you. Why? Because it's a blessed seed that's in you. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken. Let's stop right there. This is the breakthrough. The father of all who believe, the man who will eventually be called the friend of God, the God who will do nothing in the earth except he go tell his friend what he's about to do. This man that has special in with God. What, where did he come from? God broke in to his life. When God broke in, God says, you're gonna have to, what needs to be broken down is your natural ties. You need to be broken down from that house. That needs, because that's holding you back. You need to be willing. And then look at all the things God said he will do. I will bless. I will multiply. I'll make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing. I, 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 I. And I'm only asking you to do one thing. If you do the one thing, you'll release me to do 10 things. 
Many times that one step of obedience is the master key that unlocks what God's going to do. The many things God wants to do. You're thinking about how could these things be done? God will do it. But he's saying, take that one step. I just need you to step. I need you to lean in the right direction. I just need you to believe. Hey, Mary, you young little virgin. She goes, how could these things be? Are you kidding me? How does this happen? You're saying I'm going to give birth? I've never even been with a man. Now listen, I might not have gone to college, but I understand some things. How, how, how? And you know, we laugh at Mary, but how many know we live with the house? Yeah, how's God going to how? And once you say how, let me tell you something. You're asking God, that's like taking your two-year-old, say, look, sit and trig today, and at the end, I want you to understand. It's crazy. <laughs> so God doesn't even answer the hows because he'd knock your head right off your frame. Are you kidding me? How? So you know what he says? Here's what the angel says. Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Oh, that's, that, oh, that, that answers everything. That's right. She, oh, that's, yeah. So here's what she says. She goes from how to be. All right. You didn't answer my how question, but be it unto me then, according to what you said. I mean, oh, she believed the greatest breakthrough that ever occurred in the earth. How many know we're saved because of her breakthrough? Are you glad she believed? Oh, yeah, I'm glad she believed because it saved my soul. It really did. She's not my Savior, but through God found a vessel. He found a believing womb. He found a believing heart. That's all I need you to do, Mary. I'll take care of your fallopian tubes. I'll take care of ovaries. I'll take care of all of the stuff that needs to take place independent of, hum of humans. I'll take care of it all. Abram, all I need you to do is take one step. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out, obeyed why that's great and he went not knowing where he was going i mean it's like wow that one verse sums up my whole life really 40 years i believe god i obey and i have no clue what, what we're doing but we're going to obey god and god just does it all i had no idea lynn swan so on how did all that work who knows all i know is i felt good going to south america i'll tell you that the man got, see, that's a breakthrough right there. God broke in his voice. When God spoke, things that held him in a halfway place broke down. And the result, he broke out. He broke out of the place where dad died. He broke out of the place where he would have died. He broke out of a place that was before he'd ever be fruitful. He'd never be. And as he broke out, it affected the generations. A whole nation, Israel, that would eventually come out, would go in. That one man's breakthrough impacted a nation that would come out of him, impacted families as the word of the Lord was. I want to encourage you. Today may be your day, and we're going to pray for you. Your day of breakthrough. I don't know what the area is, but God knows. And God's word is sufficient. And if you'll just take one step and say, here am I. Here am I. I've been in this place too long. And I want to be all that God wants me to be. I want to come into all that God has for me to come into. And I don't fully understand it all. I believe the God of breakthroughs will come and there'll be a testimony in your life that will positively affect others. Can you say amen? What about when God, we don't have to turn there, what about when God, in Judges, the sixth chapter, the Midianites were surrounding Israel, and they were robbing, the Bible says, the harvest. As soon as the harvest, the Midianites were right there. They never were able to experience the harvest of their own seed and labor. But there was one guy in that nation named Gideon. Now Gideon did not get in his yearbook most likely to succeed. No way. Where is he? He's hiding. And so God calls an angel. Now, I'm sure he's got a whole, you know, he's the God of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven. 
He's got a whole army of angels, flaming swords. They're standing at attention. I need an angel. I'm not, how many said, we're here? No, no, not you. I need a messenger angel. A messenger angel? And they're looking, and they're seeing Israel. Man, they're taken advantage of by the Midianites. I need a messenger. Messenger comes, what do you need? See that guy down there hiding? I want you to give him a message. Okay, the messenger goes, and there he is. He has his little harvest. Little, just little. He's just existing. He's in survival. That's the 10-gallon tank. If I can only make it another day. Is there any many nights around? Okay, good. I made another day. I got through another week. I got through, and he's, he's developed a survival mentality. He has no great vision of expanding his house and the great harvest. No, because the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. He's constantly everywhere he turns. He sees the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. So what it does is it produces a survival mentality. And he's hiding. And, but how many know you can't hide from God? So the angel comes. And the angel comes with the spirit of a prophetic word. You talk about breakthrough. Hello, you mighty man of God. <laughs> While he's hiding. He's anything but a mighty man of God. What, uh, and, then, and he contends with that. So hey, you got the wrong, this prophecy is wrong right now. I'm telling you right now. Don't you understand? You don't know some things about me. You, you meant my neighbor, not me, my neighbor. No, no, you, you, me. Oh, no, no, look, I'm not, I don't come from Judah. So, you know, I'm not a Levite, I'm not a Levite. I, don't, I didn't qualify to be a priest. I didn't, I'm like, man, Manasseh. You know, they don't, they're not headline news tribe. It's a little tribe. And then I'm the least of my father's house and there's nothing. You got the wrong guy. But what he needed was, see, he had a little 10 gallon. He was a little goldfish. And God knew something. If he can get a breakthrough in this man, he could save a nation. Now, he could have commissioned all those angels with flaming swords and just take care of the Midianites. What intrigues me it's not what God does, how God does things, his ways. Because locked up in that breakthrough was going to be a national deliverance. Yes. Yes. So finally after he, he said, hey, wait a second, you're saying God. God has forsaken us. That's what he said. If God, we wouldn't be in this situation if God was with us. And by the way, where's all the signs and wonders our fathers told us about? We hear about that move of God before I was born. We hear about, you know, but there's no evidence. I turn the news on, I go to school, all that's going. There's no evidence that this mighty God is working in my world. That's what he told the angel. But the angel's response, referring back to what he called them, he said, you go in this, your might. What's the this? The this is what I brought to you from God, which is your God-given identity. If you will just lay hold of that, it will produce might for you. Well, he, he finally fleeces the Lord. He goes through what he has to go through. Uh, and then he takes it. And then he starts acting like a general. And he starts doing these things. By the end of Gideon, what happened? All of Israel is delivered. All the nation is freed from the Midianites. And a great victory was wrought through the hand of Gideon, who becomes one of the judges. And how did all this happen? God broke in. He broke into the man hiding by the wine press. God broke into his fear. God broke into, he was crippled. He was in a dungeon and in a paralysis of fear. And God broke into where he was. And when he broke in, God dealt with the 10-gallon tank of thoughts, his identity that he adapted from who he was, what he was in, his circumstances, shaped his mindset to make him only a daily survivor. When God says in side of you there's something I'm going to bring out that a whole nation will be delivered and so God smashed those thoughts something broke down and who broke out Gideon and when Gideon broke out a nation 
A nation was changed and freed. What could happen today if the Lord Jesus Christ church would rise up, come on, and know the God of breakthroughs, no matter what we see, that we begin to stand tall in his identity as to who we are, what his word declares. He is forever the same. Can you say amen? I kind of think that God will find that there's a people through which he could bring a breakthrough and impact a nation and a generation. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. You see, it's just like the enemy. He wants us to be defined to ourselves by the circumstances. We may not be able to deny circumstances, but that's not who I am. And there comes a point where the real thrust of the warfare is to not allow what you're facing to define and to give you a 10-gallon tank of thoughts. And before you know it, you just start making decisions and based upon you're living a life in reaction to natural things as opposed to, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, you spoke a word over my life. Lord, what is your will for my life? You see, and when you stay in that plane, what happens is out of your belly shall continue to flow unhindered. God will flow out of you. God will flow out of you on your job. God will flow out of you in the school. God will flow out of you at an airport and minister to a former NFL. Who am I? I'll tell you who I am. I'm somebody that's got a well. Amen. Not because I'm a prophet. If I would have said, hey, I'm a prophet, that meant nothing. I was just somebody that's got some water that can flow out of me. But Jesus said, whosoever thirsts. This is not just for pastors. This is not just for elders. This is for you. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah. 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 I am sensing in the Lord today that there is more than one, but there's a few people, and it feels like your heart is going to beat out of your chest because somewhere along this message, you were identified not to feel shame, not to feel guilty, but to say you provoked, the word of God provoked something. I don't want to stay in the place I'm in. And I want to see a show of hands if that's you. I see you. Next thing, be brave, come out, come on up. We're going to pray and we're going to believe God for you. I'm telling you, come on out, don't even hesitate. Don't let yourself go through that battle. Just obey. Just obey.